It happens. Okay. Okay. There we go. All right. Well, considering that you probably didn't hear me the first three minutes, we're going to do this one more time. Okay, folks, thank you so much for tuning into this week's edition of Roundabout Sports presented by Interstate 70 Sports Media, where our passion is our profession. I'm the master Jeremy Carp. As you can tell, it is just me tonight. Uh, Hollywood James Knox is not here. He's dealing with some health issues, and we our prayers go out to him. We love him so much. You stay strong, Hollywood. Um, with that said, we're doing something different tonight. Like I said, there is a link right below for you to be able to tune in to the show, to actually join us on the show for that matter. And like I said, we're going to be talking about Super Bowl 57, the fallout from that. Um, and so, yeah. With that, if I believe we are good to go audio-wise, then definitely be sure to tune in. So we are going to begin by, of course, talking about Super Bowl 57. The Eagles were favored to win by one and a half points over the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and if you did not tune into last week's show with myself, Andrew Henson, and Christopher Miles, we all had our own different predictions on the show. Um, Hollywood commented on his own as well. He had the Eagles winning. I had the uh, Chiefs winning, actually, 38-34. And, man, I was off by just one point. That, that, that Damn, that hurts the soul. I missed it just by that much. So I'm definitely excited for that, the fact that the Chiefs emerged victorious. But once again, like I said, more than 110 million people tuned in to watch the Super Bowl this year. One of the highest marks of all time. It's the most streamed event in Fox Sports history, and it's the third most watched TV show on record. Um, so, yeah, and I tell you, it's the most watched Super Bowl in six years. It's the most streamed Super Bowl ever, and it's the most streamed event. And, yeah, I just – so we take a look at the other two. Um, the Well, first off, the actual halftime performance with Rihanna drew a whopping 118.7 million viewers. I can't tell you how impressive that stat is. But, and for Rihanna, a lot of people have mixed reactions about Rihanna, you know, with her halftime performance. So, we will see how people feel about that as we continue on with the show. Like I said, please join the show below. Join us, you know, be great hearing your comments, thoughts about Super Bowl 57. We got a lot to talk about. So, what started off with the absolute smart strategy that the Eagles had going into this game. And that was keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. Cause you give Mahomes the ball. That's when you have issues and that's, you know, in the second half of the game proved it, but this is what happened. The Eagles kept Patrick Mahomes off the field for almost the entirety of the first half. He was only on the field. He was on the field less than 10 minutes in the entire first half. So, yeah, I'm going to tell you that right now. That's, that's the way to stop them. Um, it was definitely quite the, the showing by the Philadelphia Eagles in that regard. But, unfortunately, I mean, they headed into the halftime with a 24-14 to 14 lead. 
And in most cases, teams, were, I believe, were 26-1 and one when having a double-digit halftime lead. The only team that wasn't, um, well, I'll be honest, was <laughs> the Falcons against the New England Patriots. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely interesting. So, we're going to take a look at basically how the drives turned out. It was a, there was a 10, this game started with a 10 play, or an 11 play, 10 minute drive by the Eagles. Cut that in down to seven minutes for the Chiefs to tie it up. But once again, Eagles take 15 minutes off the clock. Let's put in five plays. Like, uh, I don't know. It's just. It just blows my mind how well that Philly was able to hold their own against the Kansas City Chiefs. And let's put it this way. Let's look at the time of possession. The Eagles held the ball for 35 minutes and 47 seconds of the game, while the Chiefs held it for 24 minutes and 13 seconds. 25 first downs for Philly, 21 for the Chiefs. Um... Third downs, 11 for 18 for the Eagles and 4 for 8 for the Chiefs. I mean, Kansas City held the ball multiple times. Or, I'm sorry, the Eagles held the ball the majority of the first half. And I just take a look at it in that they were systematically wearing down the Chiefs' defense. And a lot of people got upset with my comments on the Facebook page about that. And, I mean... How else do you want me to describe it? That's literally what it was. So, yeah, we have that. Um, give me one second. Like I said, folks, riding so tonight, but that doesn't mean we all have to be alone. Be sure to uh, click the link that I have that I'm about to post here and join the show. You know, I always love hearing from the fans. I always love having you guys on. And the support I get every single week is so appreciative. Um, once again, we're delving into the Super Bowl between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles, in which the Chiefs won, unfortunately, by controversy, uh, 38-35. I don't think it should be as controversial as people want to make it, but I digress. That's just the way it is. Um so we take a look at what the big play was. And here we go, folks. There it is. With less than two minutes to go, the Eagles corner, James Bradbury, held Chiefs wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster. In the process, you know, refs drew a flag, gave the Chiefs a fresh set of downs. This was on third down. And from there, all the Chiefs had to do was just run down the clock. They ran it down. Jarrett McKinnon actually almost scored a touchdown, but he was able to stop himself in time. And so, yeah, it, it was just unbelievable. Um like I said, a lot of controversy ensued because of that. 
So folks, I just want you to take a look at this for a second and let me know what you think about it. And if you feel that this was a holding call that was worth calling or the ref should have looked the other way. But, I mean, the way I look at it, it's a hold. And it's, it's just hard to describe because there was more blatant things that happened that weren't called in the Super Bowl. I had conversations with many of my friends, uh, those of whom were from both sides of the whole uh, fandom of both the Eagles and the Chiefs. So, yeah, it's just a lot going on. So, you folks, please tell me in the comments below what you think of this. And I'm sorry if it's a little bit of a stutter tonight, a little bit slower than normal. Like I said, uh, show solo is always a little trickier sometimes, especially when you're used to having co-hosts alongside you. But here's my thing. When we take a look at this play, you know, this wasn't the first time Bradbury held Juju Smith-Schuster throughout the game. And James Bradbury, in a post-game conference, even admitted to holding Schuster or Smith-Schuster. And I say to myself, at some point, you just have to... If the person that committed the fouls did it or admitted it, that just ends the argument. Because then if you're going to be like, well, then why did the refs call it? Okay, well, now you're just being a salty fan. And and I know plenty of people that are going to disagree with me on that. In fact, my uh, normal co-host definitely had some choice words between the two of us in regards to how that game ended. But I don't think it's because of the refs that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. I think it played a role in the sense that there were beneficial calls for the Chiefs. But at the end of the day, Philly had plenty of opportunities to stop them. Travis Kelsey being wide open wasn't because of the refs. The Eagles uh, allowing Mahomes to only have one incompletion the entire second half wasn't because of the refs. It was because Patrick Mahomes proved he's why he's the best quarterback in the NFL right now. And why... If he were to announce his retirement tomorrow, I would have no issue saying that he would be a Hall of Famer. I mean, when you look at the accolades that he has already accumulated, the way I see it, you know, he's a two-time Super Bowl champ, two-time Super Bowl MVP, two-time MVP, um, Offensive Player of the Year, Five-time Pro Bowler, uh, passing yard leader, two times as far as uh, passing touchdowns leader. I mean, all this, he's already almost at 200 touchdown passes in his career, and he's only 27 years old. That's an un unbelievable um, record. And, yeah. He, it's just, he's joined Tom Brady and Joe Montana as the only quarterbacks to win multiple regular season and Super Bowl MVPs. 
that right there, you got one Hall of Famer and you got a guy who's deserving of his own Hall of Fame class. Now, let me take you through some of the biggest keys to the game for both teams. For the Eagles, it was just like I said earlier, the fact that the first half they did not allow Patrick Mahomes to be on the field. Um, with that, Jalen Hurts, how do I describe it? Okay, Chuck Howley of the Dallas Cowboys, he's going to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame next year. He's about 86 years old. He is the only MVP to be on the losing team in a Super Bowl. You could have made a case for Jalen Hurts to be the second guy to accomplish that feat. Because I, I take a look at Jalen Hurts' stats in the Super Bowl. And, I mean, we'll look at it like this. Jalen Hurts, 304 passing yards and a touchdown. A rating of 103.4. 70 yards on 15 carries for three touchdowns. Jalen Hurts was responsible for four of the five touchdowns that, uh, or basically, you take a look, um, you look at how many points that Jalen Hurts was responsible for. And he was responsible for 28 of the 35 points that the Eagles ended up scoring. And the next, the next closest running back on that list, and he's and Jalen Hurts is the quarterback. But you look on the list of rushing yard, uh, as far as leaders on the Eagles, Kenneth Gainwell was with seven carries for 21 yards. Miles Sanders seven carries, 16 yards. Boston Scott three carries for eight yards. I mean, these are guys with 3.0, 2.3, 2.7 yards per carry. And then out of the blue comes Jalen Hurts that goes out there and has an absolutely dominant game. It's not even that he had a terrible second half or anything. It's the defense of Philadelphia, which has been praised all year long as arguably the league's best, crumbled. They crumbled, they disappointed, and they let down Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia offense. Um, like I said, the Chiefs had four possessions in the second half. Touchdown, 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 game-winning field goal. Patrick Mahomes had one pass thrown uh, incomplete in the entire second half, and it was a throwaway. He just had to throw it away. He had to get it out of there. And despite the fact that Travis Kelsey was more quiet during the second half, I mean, you still had Juju Smith-Schuster. You had Justin Watson. You had Jarek McKinnon. You had Noah Gray. You even had uh, two touchdowns what, off as far from two guys that each only had one reception. You had a five-yard touchdown pass to Kadarius Toney and a four-yard touchdown pass to Sky Moore. Then we get into the rushing yards. First off, Patrick Mahomes had a bum ankle. He was basically hopping around this game. And he goes out there and he 
rushes six times for 44 yards. 7.3 yards a carry with a guy with a high ankle sprain. There's no excuse if you're the Eagles. There's just no excuse. Then you take a look at the leading rusher on the team, which was Isaiah Pacheco, who I'm telling you right now, I said it weeks ago, and I'm going to say it now. Clyde edwards Elaire is done with the Kansas City Chiefs. There is no way otherwise when the time comes. Pacheco, 15 carries, 76 rushing yards, and a touchdown, a 5.1 yard per carry average. Far beyond better than anybody on the Eagles. In fact, Jarek McKinnon even had four carries for 34 yards with an 8.5 yards per carry. So overall, you take a look at just what the Chiefs were able to do in the second half, and it was exactly what the Eagles were able to do in the first half, and that was wear each other's defenses down. This was the third highest scoring Super Bowl in history. And of that, you know, you got to take into account that 25 of the 73 points were just in the fourth quarter alone. You had 17 points by the Chiefs alone in the fourth quarter. You had the touchdown and two-point conversion all by Jalen Hurts in the uh, fourth quarter alone. And it, it did come down to a final drive that had the controversial holding penalty. And I know in the coming weeks we'll probably still be bringing it up. But the way I see it, you get those stops in the pass, you don't have to worry about the refs letting a hold slide. You don't play the game to just let the refs hopefully let you get away with causing penalties. You got to learn to not commit the penalties. And I know you're going to be people are going to be like, "Oh, well what about on holding? They call they do holding every play." You're right, but if they called the holding in every play, we'd never get football going because it's it's all judgment call. So, once again, let us know below in the comments if you think that the holding call from Bradbury to Juju Smith-Schuster should have been called. And I, all that said, when we take a look at the end of the game, a lot of talk was going around that Andy Reid might have retired, might retire after the Super Bowl. Well, thankfully for Chiefs fans, that is not the case. Um, Andy Reid announced that he would come back for his age 65 season. He's been a coach in some capacity since 1982. Um, and he's been the Chiefs head coach since 2013. This is going on his 11th year as the coach of the Chiefs. He's got 20, 247 regular season wins. He's a 22-16 and 16 postseason record. Um... Both his Super Bowl wins are with the Chiefs. He's a coach of the year. He's a three-time Sporting News coach of the year. I mean, 
He's turned the Chiefs organization around, one that struggled for many years before his arrival, when the Chiefs were near the bottom of the league. I, there's not much more to say, honestly. There's, there, I mean, there, there really isn't. There, there's not much you can say about the Chiefs that hasn't already been said about how clutch of a team they are, how dominant of a team they are. But this was a game they had to fight for. Make no mistake, this was not a dominating Super Bowl. Not one, you know, each team had their advantages in the half. But at the end of the day, the Kansas City Chiefs and Philadelphia Eagles had their own halves in which they outplayed each other. Unfortunately for the Eagles, the half they really needed to play outplay the Chiefs was in the second half, and they didn't. Um, and that is why the Chiefs were partying in Kansas City today. And folks, let me show you this. This is from, I believe, the Union Station area in downtown uh Kansas City or near downtown Kansas City. I just oh. bear with me one second. And like I said, folks, please be sure to like, comment, subscribe. Uh, it's been a much slower episode tonight, and I understand and apologize for that. Um, next week we're gonna really kick it back up into high gear. But look at that party. You I mean you got Tens of thousands of people downtown in Kansas City celebrating the Chiefs' Super Bowl, second Super Bowl win in four years, which it, it, it's amazing because at one point the Chiefs didn't have a Super Bowl win until 1970, and yet here they are having their second title in four years. Um. You just, I get, you love to see it. I love to see it. And I know there's a lot that don't, but. And I think another thing that is sad, though, is that for the NFL, the season's almost, the season is officially over. What are we talking about? Um, and now the offseason's upon us. A lot of moves have already been made. Derek Carr released from the Las Vegas Raiders. And Derek Carr has been the face of that franchise for so many years now. He was drafted by the Raiders in the second round of the 2014 draft. Um, he's the franchise leader in yards, touchdown, and passing yards, touchdowns, and passing completions. I mean, it was a very unceremonious way for him to leave the franchise. They knew that uh, he declined his decision to waive the no trade trade clause. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's sad. I and I from what I'm getting on the reports, Saints are one of the primary teams that are interested in him. So we will see if anything develops on that. Uh, be sure to stick with Interstate 70 Sports Media. Um, and we'll see where we go from there. That said, give us a minute. We'll be right back on Roundabout Sports. And we will be covering 
the latest happenings just all around in the world of sports. So be sure to stay tuned. Give us about a 30-second off, and we'll be right back. All right, now we're back. All right, folks, thank you for tuning back in to Roundabout Sports presented by Interstate 70 Sports Media, where our passion is our profession. I'm the maestro, Jeremy Carp, and thank you so much for sticking with us, folks. Um, I know, like I said, it's been kind of an off week. Um, prayers go out to Hollywood James Knox as he's dealing with so much. We love him so much. And, you know, there's a lot going on. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Interstate 70 Sports Media. You can find us, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook. You can find Roundabout Sports on Facebook as well. And be sure to subscribe to the official YouTube channel of Interstate 70 Sports Media for many exclusive content um, released on the site. Now, we've, we got breaking news from earlier this afternoon, actually. That Tony Khan, who is the owner of AEW, he's announced that Ring of Honor Television will be premiering on March second. Um, and Ring of Honor, you know, he purchased the interest in Ring of Honor, and it's been quite a while since Ring of Honor has been on television. So to see it on there is a very welcome surprise. Um, something I'm really excited to see. Um, so with that, give me one second. There we go. Um, then there's another, here we go. Here comes an issue I really wanted to talk about with a guest on, but unfortunately I can't be doing that at the moment because we don't. That's okay. This is what's going on about, uh, Diamond Sports Group. Um, so for those that don't know, there's about 16 regional sports networks that cover MLB games. And this is like for the Cardinals, for example, Bally Sports Midwest, um, formerly Fox Sports Midwest. Well, the impending bankruptcy of Diamond Sports Group, the company that owns Bally's, excuse me, 19 regional sports networks will not impact fans' ability to watch their favorite teams play, according to Commissioner Rob Manfred. And he added that the sport would pick up streaming in a worst-case scenario. Um, now, Diamond Sports Group, for those that don't know, is a subsidiary of Sinclair Broadcasting, and that it would skip February's $140 million interest-only payment and thus enter... 
a 30-day grace period that will probably end up leading to um, a bankruptcy filing. Um, Manfred was speaking at spring training saying, quote, obviously we want all of our broadcast partners to be successful. We don't want them to have financial difficulties. But the problem with that is you, you make it to where games, folks that have YouTube TV can either watch Cardinal games, and I'm just using, the same goes for Royal games or Angels games or Yankee games or Mets games, things like that. If you have a 19, if you have one of the 19 regional sports networks, you have to Ill, either, I hate to say it, either illegally, you know, stream, please don't do that, or you have to pay for the app, which anybody that has it can tell you the Bowie Sports app might be one of the worst apps in that's ever existed. It's dysfunctional, um, it's slow, and it just... There's no true benefit to it in the grand scheme of things. Um, it's just a money grab for Bally. And yet, despite that, they have no money to give. It's funny how that works. So I take a look at Bally sports and looking at how it is with the Cardinals um, and with anybody. And... Uh, Eddie, thank you so much for tuning in. It is a pleasure to have you aboard and watching. I know always you, you join us a little, little later than usual, but that's a-okay, my friend. So we are talking about the lovely, and I mean such lovely, fandom note about the Bally Sports Networks and the impending bankruptcy of Diamond Sports Group. Um, so... Eddie, I, I want your opinions on the fact that, and as much as I hate to say it, it looks as if Valley Sports is going down under. And I want everybody to tell me what they think about it all. Um, I, I personally, we just fan, we as fans just want accessible ways to watch our Cardinals games. It's not that complicated, and it shouldn't have to be a freaking science project um so i i do i really do want to hear what everybody has has to say about this and so we'll continue on with that um and here we go so sinclair through diamond sports croup purchased the rsns from fox for 10.6 billion back in 2019 the problem with all that is they've borrowed more than $8 billion to make the purchase, and it hasn't even remotely come close to generating the makeup for it. So it, it, it just, yeah, I know. It's a lot to, and, and here you go. And Eddie, been watching Outside the Ring. I wonder how uh, entertaining that has been for you. Um, I know it's a very pot for those that don't know outside the ring is a very, uh, popular WWE series involving, uh, some of the top WWE wrestler, male and female wrestlers. Um, it's definitely something that's got, gotten a lot of popularity over the years. So, um, 
Evan, thank you so much for tuning in. And Evan's idea, put just put them on a local network. I'm sure the games would destroy whatever channel 11 has on their current time slot. I agree. I miss when, and, you know, Evan remembers it, and I remember it, and I sure as hell know our parents remember it, when the Cardinals games were on WB11, um, or KPLR11, I should say. And then there were Sundays when the Cardinal games would be on um, KSDK sometimes, on Channel 5. Then, of course, it goes to Fox Sports Midwest, Channel 37, as far as, you know, normal cable. Um, I just, it, it just, it's unbelievable to me to think that just putting on baseball games for fans to watch has to be such a complicated matter. Um, and, oh, outside the ring, the one he's referring to is the one for local St. Louis wrestling. I know there is another one for WWE, so I just, that's my fault for the assumption. So. I hope you're enjoying it, though, Eddie. I'll tell you that much. Um, with all that said, as I keep on scrolling through and double-checking the latest news in regards to it, um, as of the third quarter of 2022, Diamond Sports Group reported a net loss of, and this is after accounting for the interest payments, of $1.2 billion. Now, they the company pays around $2 billion in rights fees on an annual basis. So it, it's been a downhill battle since the beginning. Um, so, yeah, I just, it's unbelievable to me what's going on when it comes to Valley Sports, Sinclair Broadcasting, Diamond Sports Group, all of it, all of the above. I think the easiest way is exactly what Evan said. Put it on a local sports network. You know, it's not that complicated. Why does it have to be a freaking science project just to do this? So, yes, and, and please, like I said, give us your thoughts below. I want to hear what you all think about what is going on in the state of televising games in Major League Baseball. Um, also, and blackouts. and blackouts in local sports markets there is no reason a team just because they can't fill the full capacity um and now here's something eddie comments and counters evans point bad thing about putting them on kplr is if you don't live in the area or don't have stl cable we wouldn't get the game unless the game's on fox that's true too the thing of it is though the market for now once again, and I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. There's no reason games need to be blacked out. It's 2023. Every game should be allowed to be shown on TV, whether or not it's a, uh, a sellout. Now, I had posted on the i7 Sports Media page earlier today the attendance numbers for Major League Baseball over this season. Um, and there was a 100%, meaning every game was a sellout. The Cardinals were in third place at 90%, 90% attendance rating for the season for the fan base. Um, in comparison, the Kansas City Royals, 
They were 23rd in the league um, with a 42% attendance rating. And obviously the product's not as successful on the field as, as, you know, vice versa. We get that. But the point is fans in Kansas City should just it should be able to watch a game just as much as fans in St. Louis should be allowed to watch a Cardinals game, whether or not their attendance is full or not. And then you take a look at, you know, and I, this I have to point out. Like I said, 100% would mean every game was a sellout. You want to know what the athletics attendance number percentage was? 17%. Now, what? I mean, really? 17%. Holy hell, this was bad. I just, uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, and I've been trying to get more info on this. Um, and it says here, Diamond Sports Group's unraveling could open an opportunity for MLB to take control of all of its rights and potentially end blackouts once and for all. But going direct to consumer would not allow MLB to match the money it currently generates through the cable model. Not in the short term, Manfred said. Okay, well, this is also the guy that thinks uh, a lot of timeouts, um, robotic umpires, and bigger bases make the game of baseball better. So I don't know about that. Um, so we, it remains to be seen. And they say, here we go. Here's Eddie's next comment. They say it like on ESPN, if it's in the region, they can black it out. I call BS. We are paying just like everybody else. Exactly. Everybody is on the market here. Everybody is in market for at least one team. Everybody has a market to where they should be available to get one major league team where they can watch whenever. Um, because the in the blackout restrictions, I've never been. Well, is the NFL blackout rules don't. Um, I don't believe the NFL blackout rules exist anymore. I remember it used to be because that's why we couldn't see a lot of St. Louis Rams games in town. Um, because, of course, during the years they were really struggling, you were not able to get any type of viewing of the Rams. The only thing you could do was tune into the Rams radio network on 103.3 KLLU. Um, and so, of course, time changed a lot of things. So, yes, I just feel there is a lot of things that needs to happen to make change here in Major League Baseball as far as just putting games on networks where it doesn't have to be held to uh, to watch your favorite team play. Meanwhile, to continue our talk here with Major League Baseball, Mike Trout says he will do whatever it takes to keep Shohei Otani in Los Angeles. Um, and they got nine months to do what they can to convince him to do that. Because Otani is one of the most electrifying players in Major League Baseball right now. Um, it's unfortunate that he's on the Angels of all teams because, you know, they do nothing to help. So we will see how that develops. 
And let me go back to what Eddie's point was here, where it says the owners want you to go to the game. I understand, but that I understand that. But some do work and can't afford to go to the game. But it's not even that, you know, because at the same time, like I said, you can't crack down on the streaming on whether it's legal or not. You can't. There's always going to be the radio broadcast of games, you know. And people still prefer listening to it on the radio over, um, I mean, because who doesn't love John Rooney in St. Louis? And who doesn't love good old Dennis Matthews in uh, Kansas City? Um, nevertheless, like I was saying, you know, and Eddie asks, what do you think about putting a salary cap on teams? You know, This is my thing about the uh, salary cap discussion. Um, well, first off, since 2003, the Yankees, Dodgers, and Red Sox have paid nearly half a billion dollars in luxury tax fees. Um, so let's put, you know, they don't, okay, so they don't have a, a salary cap at the moment, but I look at the payrolls of teams and just how lopsided it is. Largest payroll for a 20-man roster, 25-man uh, roster in baseball right now in 2023 is $330 million, $330 million in, in change by the Mets. The lowest number on the payroll is $40,925,500 or, yeah, by the Oakland Athletics. Um, let's go to the Royals, who are 24th in the league with a $77 million payroll. And at 16th, you have the Cardinals with $144,604,000 and some change as their payroll. Um, the league average is right in between the Rockies and the Cardinals. Cardinals are at 144 million. The average is 145 million. The Rockies are at 155 million. <sighs> Look, there's no reason a te one team is should pay 330 million and the other is and yeah, see, um, it's a big difference. It's crazy. It is crazy to think about. That's almost a $300 million difference between the Mets and the Athletics. And the problem is there's no way for the Athletics to bounce back. Um, so then that's the payroll tracker. So um, now there's a lot of people that ask, like Eddie did, about having a salary cap in baseball. So... There are salary caps in the other big three sports, but there is one thing that they do have in MLB, the luxury tax, which some teams use to justify the limits on their spending, but there's no hard cap on baseball, um, which is why people feel that MLB is skewed towards the heavy market teams. That's why people always think, Teams like the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox, you know, 
are always going to, and, and honestly, now you even include the Astros, people don't realize how big of a city Houston really is, um, and the market for that matter. Um, see, in other leagues, the salary cap creates parity, and it's much easier to turn things around from a bad team to a good team. When a smaller market team wins a championship in a different sport, it's proof the salary cap is needed in MLB. Um, I think a prime example would be the Cincinnati Bengals. Many years, for 15, 20 years, they were struggling. They were uh, them and the Cleveland Browns were the laughing stocks in their division. And in the AFC and hell, some of the NFL. Out of nowhere, they get some pieces together. They make some good draft picks. They're a, they're a Super Bowl contender now. They were just in the Super Bowl last year in Super Bowl 56. Cincinnati is a small market when you talk in the big picture of teams in sports. Um, and that's proof the salary cap is needed in baseball, in my opinion. You know... And here, here's, some, here's some of the reasons MLB does not need, but let's run through some of the reasons MLB does not need a salary cap to create parity. It's been a long time since they've had a repeat champion. So even though teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Red Sox keep stocking up their teams, the only team that's constantly been in the World Series and won it is the Red Sox. And of course, recently the Astros, but the Red Sox were victory victorious in 2004, 2007, 2013, and 2018. You know, so they were consistent forces. But since the Yankees dynasty in the late 90s and early 2000s, there's never been a repeat champion. Um, it's always been a new team every year. Um, you know, you'll have your Cardinals, the Giants, the Royals, the Mets. Um, you'll have, well, not the Mets, but just even making the World Series. Like the Tigers making the World Series. Um, shit. Even the Cubs made it to the World Series and won it against the now Cleveland Guardians. Once again, Another small market team, uh, the Guardians. And yet they're somehow consistently a contender. So let's put it this way. Um, MLB championships this century. We have the Red Sox have four. Giants have three. Yankees and Cardinals have two. And then... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven different teams in baseball. One, one. It's a lot of teams. That's 15 different champions this century. And it's only 2023. You know? Um, in the NBA, starting since the turn of the century. The Lakers have seven championships, the Spurs have four, the Warriors have three, and the Heat have three. So, and the NHL's had six teams win multiple titles and account for 15 of the last 21 Stanley Cups. So, 
you know, I just, now, here is something that's interesting. Um, uh, once the Mariners made the playoffs this past year, we all know about their long drought. Um, every team has made the playoffs in Major League Baseball in the 21st century. And only nine MLB teams haven't made the playoffs within the last five seasons. So here's the final, in 2021, here were the final lowest five payrolls um, or from the lowest five salary teams. The, Ray, the Rays had 76 million, the Marlins 60 million, the Orioles 59 million, the Guardians 53 million, and then the Padres 50 million. Oh, I'm sorry, the Pirates, not the Padres. Trust me, with the who the Padres have on their team, there ain't no way they're going to be near the bottom of the payroll anytime soon. Um, so people, do you think the MLB needs a salary cap? I'm I'm split in the middle. I see the benefits of it, but I also see why MLB is a special case of a sport that can do without it. Um, so. Yeah, I definitely, and I want to hear your guys' thoughts on if you think MLB should have a salary cap on that one. With that, we are going to continue on here, <clears throat> excuse me, here on Roundabout Sports. And remember, like, subscribe. We have a link. If you want to just join the show as a, um, oh, where is it? Oh, here, Jordan's tuned in. Thank you so much. Um. He said, I think MLB needs a salary floor before it needs a salary cap. Well, there's an interesting point as well. Um, so now for those who are wondering what the salary floor is, this is what a salary floor is. It's the minimum amount that must be spent on the team as a whole. So... Let's put it this way. Each team has to spend at least this amount of money. Like, we'll just say $40 million. Just, I don't know. Roll with me on this. Um, so each team has $40 million that they have to spend on players. I like that idea more because it does give everybody the, the fighting chance. Yes, bigger market teams are always going to show up more bucks. But at the same time, look at the Yankees. They haven't won a championship since 2009. So what good has shelling out more bucks done for them? You know, and the Dodgers, the only World Series they won in the past few years is the one in the COVID-shortened season that, to be honest, a lot of people don't think was uh, legitimate. So... So, yeah, I, I agree with Jordan's point on this, is that MLB does need to have a salary floor before they have a salary cap. Um, so there's an interesting one in and of itself. Now, here, here's uh, an interesting one. It, it's also 
I want to put this up there. The tax rate, I'm not even going to even get into the whole tax rate because this is not personal finance class. <laughs> um, but I see where some of you guys stand when it comes to whether you want a salary cap in baseball or a salary floor. Um, you see the advantages and disadvantages of having it. First off, you don't talk about big money contracts in hockey as much as you do in basketball and football. It's already been talked about that Justin Herbert will most likely be uh, getting a six-year, $295 million contract by the Los Angeles Chargers, which Justin Herbert's great, but $295 million great? I have my doubts. Once again, that's just me. What do I know? Um, so with that, folks, keep sending in questions and thoughts as we go through some of the latest going on here in the world of sports. Um, and yeah, I'm here. Here's something interesting. So like I said earlier, the Chiefs had their victory parade today and Patrick Mahomes, the man himself says, uh, I just want to let you all know that this is just the beginning. We ain't done yet, so I'll make sure to, quote, hit you all back next year, and I hope the crowd's the same. I mean, you, you got to love the enthusiasm he has. I, I will take that any day of the week um, over what it could be. So there we go on that one, folks. Once again, like I said, I'm really thinking about Hollywood James Knox right about now. You know, I know he's a, he's a fighter. He's a warrior. Um, I just know he's going through a lot. And show, shows how much we love and care about him. Um, so we're going to go into our next topic now. And we're going to go back into the NFL a little bit, as even though it's the offseason. So Mark Sessler with um, NFL.com ranked – Every single um, starting quarterback in the 2022 season. Now, I'm not going all the way down and listing all 68 quarterbacks that he had happened to list. So we are just going to go to, um, you know what? We'll do the top 20. Why not? What the hell? I'm feeling special. Actually, we'll do the 25. Yeah. Okay. Final 25. At 25, you got Kenny Pickett from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Very good. I'm going to give my own uh, analysis on each quarterback and I do the best I can. So, number 25, we got Kenny Pickett. I do personally like having Kenny Pickett down at 25. He had some great flashes at the end of the season. Somehow, the Steelers went from starting the season two and six to ending at nine and eight just barely missing the playoffs. Um, number 24, Andy Dalton. When you go into the season expecting Jameis Winston and you play the season having Andy Dalton, there's not much you can expect. But he's a uh, – I feel like at this point, the Red Rifles still got himself uh, some juice left in the tank. And – he was rated as pro football focus's fifth overall passing grade of the season. 
He got six, he had 18 touchdowns and only nine picks. It was a good season for him. It really was. Um, he's just never that top guy. That's the thing. He's never the top guy. Um, and we're going to go back to this quickly. One quick second before I go back to the rankings. Um, then think the players union would go for a salary cap. I could see them disagreeing with that only because obviously anything that could hinder them getting money. I mean, shoot, they're, they're not going to like it. Um, that said, we're going to continue up the list of the top 25 quarterbacks of 2022 as reported on by Mark Sessler or as written by Mark Sessler of NFL.com. Number 23 is the man himself we talked about earlier, Derek Carr. He had 3,500 plus passing yards, 24 touchdowns, 14 picks. Um, and now he's a free agent that honestly the guy on the team on the list below us, the New Orleans Saints, might really have interest in. Number 22, talk about a rough year for this guy, Matthew Stafford of the Los Angeles Rams. Went from being a Super Bowl champion to being on the defending champion's shelf most of the season. And despite that, he's going to be coming back um, next season. He, re he revealed that, despite how ba Baker Mayfield played at the end of the year for the Rams. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Number 21, Jacoby Brissett of the Cleveland Browns. Now, this is what's interesting about how the season went for the Browns. Obviously, Deshaun Watson, their franchise quarterback, suspended the first 11 games of the season. In that time, Jacoby Brissett took the reins. And behind a, probably one of the top lines in the league with Wyatt Teller, Joel Batonio, Jack Conklin. Brissett played very well. Um, I mean, over his final five starts, he just threw one interception. He threw 12 pass touchdowns, six picks, over 2,600 passing yards. Um, I mean, he developed chemistry with Amari Cooper and David Njoku and Donovan Peoples-Jones. I would personally want to keep Jacoby Brissett heading into next year because if something does happen to Watson, be it injury or something else, suspension-related, you need to have that solid guy there. And Brissett's very solid in that regard. And number 20, here's another name that we're going to be hearing a lot about during the offseason, Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy G, good old Jimmy of the San Francisco 49ers. Um, he's already announced that his, he's, he's going to be a free agent. It's already set in stone, basically. Um, but once again, a foot injury wiped him from the lineup. In came Brock Purdy, who will now be fighting with Trey Lance for the starting spot. Um, there's no scenario, they say, where Jimmy G would probably return. Now, with Derek Carr gone, Raiders and Josh McDaniels are interested in Jimmy G. And the Jets as well, but we'll see where that goes. Number 19, Ryan Tannehill, short, sweet, to the point. He did a he did about what was expected of him, and I don't mean that in a good way. Titans were fortunate of being in a bad division, or they would have no business being fighting for the division title in the last week of the season. That's all I could say about that. Um, 
Daniel Jones, Danny Dimes for the New York Giants. Talk about a comeback year. Okay, look. Seven rushing touchdowns, almost 1,000 yards rushing, 17 passing touchdowns, only six picks, 3,600 pass yards. Where's this Danny Dimes been all year? Or all career, I mean. The thing of it is, he's not worth $40 million. I wouldn't even say he's worth $30 million a year. I'd say $20 million at most. Because you don't know if it's a one-hit wonder, like a one-year fluke, or he's meant for this. Now, Brian Dable, having, being the QB whisperer that he is and having the Coach of the Year award and turning the franchise around is huge. But when you have other star players like Saquon Barkley and Andrew Thomas you have to pay, let alone in a few years when you're going to be paying guys like Kayvon Thibodeau, you've got to be careful of what money you want to really dish out to Daniel Jones. Number 17, one of the most – I don't know how to describe it. I don't know if he's the worst great quarterback or he's just the best good quarterback. I don't know. It's Kirk Cousins of the Minnesota Vikings. Kirk Cousins is an anomaly because he is such a good quarterback when you need him to be. But when he's bad, he is horrendous. When he's great, he's fantastic. So it's just a matter of which guy you get. You get the good one or the bad one. And if you are the Vikings, you got a lot of the good this year. Almost 5,000 passing yards, 31 passing touchdowns, uh, 14 interceptions. His ranking drops, though, from last year. Um, and I think the biggest reason why Kirk Cousins is so high on this list, and this is just my opinion, the one-score games. Nobody won more one-score games in 2022-23 than the Vikings did. And it's a true testament to the grit that this team has, including what was named the game of the year, which was them versus the Bills um, in the middle of the season, I believe week 14. Number 16, Kyler Murray. I don't like him being ranked this high. Um, he only had 14 touchdowns. He only played in 11 games. The Cardinals dead last in their division struggled terribly. So much wrong. And unfortunately it did end because he tore his ACL. And that's a big thing to come back from, especially when you're a mobile quarterback, such as Kyler Murray is. So I don't know. There's a lot to really think about there. Um, Brock Purdy, number 15 of the San Francisco 49ers, the legend of Mr. Irrelevant. Unfortunately, he suffered a torn UCL in the NFC title game. Um, so we're going to see what happens now. I, I'm excited to see how this quarterback battle between both Trey Lance and Brock Purdy turns out. I think San Francisco should not be... Um, Ungrateful that they have both quarterbacks. Now, here comes 
Aaron Rodgers, the future Hall of Famer himself. This is his 18th year in the league, folks. He'll be entering year 19. Just let me let me make this clear. Last year he was ranked by Mark Sisler is the number two quarterback in the league. This year he's 14th. He's coming off two back-to-back MVP seasons, and yet this year it was one of his worst seasons in a long time. One of the few seasons in his career he had more than 10 picks. He only had 26 touchdown passes. Only uh, He threw over 3,600 passing yards, but at the end of the day, he fumbled eight times. The Packers looked lost without Devontae Adams at times. It wasn't until a late-season surge, because at one point the Packers were th- all but out of the playoffs in general. It took a last week upset by the Lions, and I would I, honestly, I'm not even going to call it an upset. The Lions just overall were the better team, and they were deservedly so. Will Rodgers even come back next year? We don't know. Number seven or 13, we got Justin Fields. Now, here is a fun quarterback to watch. Justin Fields, over 2,200 passing yards, but holy hell, this guy had 1,143 rushing yards, eight rushing touchdowns, and yeah, he fumbled 16 times. Why the Bears are thinking of taking a quarterback number one overall when you have Justin Fields blows my mind. The problem isn't Justin Fields. The problem is Justin Fields doesn't have anybody around him to help him. He doesn't have an offensive line. He has very limited options at receiver. He doesn't have a good running game because he is the running game, and he's great, but the running backs behind him aren't. David Montgomery is going to be gone. If anything, no. I, I ugh. And Jared, thank you so much for tuning in. And by the way, Jared says KC sucks. I know somebody was not happy about the results from that Super Bowl. And I just got to say, you know, it happens. Um, nevertheless, yes, Justin Fields, I'm telling you right now, the Chicago Bears, who have already filed paperwork for Arlington Heights for a new state-of-the-art stadium in the future, are going to really, if they really want to make a difference in this franchise, keep Justin Fields. He can be the franchise guy. Just give him some damn help. And a quarterback at number one is not the help we're talking about. Number 12, and this is a fun one, Lamar Jackson. Good old Lamar. Sometimes I wonder if the Cleveland Browns were playing chess and not checkers when they traded for Deshaun Watson. Because by giving Deshaun Watson a massive guaranteed contract, Lamar Jackson feels he's worth that now. The only difference is while the Browns and Deshaun Watson both can agree on the number, the Ravens see the exact opposite of Lamar. See, Lamar Jackson still a great quarterback. One of the best athletes in the league at the quarterback position. He's not worth Deshaun Watson money. I'm not even going to say Deshaun Watson's worth Deshaun Watson money because he's not. Hell, Russell Wilson's not worth Russell Wilson money. None of these guys are worth $290 million contracts. And Lamar Jackson over here is talking about wanting over $300 million guaranteed. No, 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 no. He wants $250 million guaranteed. No, no, no. That's that's not how we're going to do this, Lamar. So he may not even be on the Ravens come next year, or he may sit out. 
We don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be fun to watch, though. I'll tell you that much. Number 12, Dak Prescott. Oh, good old Dak. Great comeback year for Dak after well, missing the first four games. Um, proving that he can play very good quarterback and making Jerry Jones feel proud of himself for once. That said, let's just talk about how crappy he was in the playoffs against the Niners. And that is part of the issue here. Um, when you need him to play his best, he plays his worst. And when you need him to play well, he plays well. He's not an MVP caliber quarterback. He's a very good quarterback. But he's not the he's not going to be the quarterback that leads the Cowboys to the Super Bowl. And if he is, if the Cowboys go to the Super Bowl, it's not going to be because of solely Dak Prescott. And number 10, a quarterback that has just recently retired after 47 years in the league, Tom Brady. Okay, 23 years, but it sure as hell felt like 47. All right. I'm going to tell you something. Out with the old, in with the new. It, it's crazy, but you got a, a Super Bowl where um, Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes had a Super Bowl where the future stars shined. And all the while, the greatest star in the NFL the past 20 years, basically, and one of the greatest players of all time, called it a career. Um, and this is what's interesting. Tom Brady's 45 years old, and that's when he said he was going to retire. Um, it's just, he's the last active player from the 2000 NFL draft. Man, that makes me feel old. I don't know how old you all were when Tom Brady was first drafted in the NFL in 2000. But all I know was uh, I was in either kindergarten or first grade. And shit, I'm going to be 28 in a few months. Bottom line, Tom Brady had a pretty solid year to end the year. And by solid, I mean he finished with over 5,000 pass yards, 27 passing touchdowns, and 10 picks. What's funny is he had minus one rushing yards, but he had a touchdown. The reason the Buccaneers limped into the playoffs was solely because of injuries. Injuries crippled the team to so many key players. And because of that, they had to, you know, they get in, go eight and nine. Um, and they end up losing to the Dallas Cowboys. Number nine on our list, or Mark Sessler's list, I should say, is Geno Smith, Comeback Player of the Year winner. Um, Geno Smith, in all intents and purposes, was a bust. People didn't expect much after a few years. Let me put it to you this way. Um, since 2013, Geno Smith was only ranked on two of these lists, the 2021 list and the 2013 list. No ranking on the others. Last year, he was number 40. This year, he's number nine. Mad props to him. 32 passing touchdowns, 12 picks. 394 rush yards, one rushing touchdown. 
4,000 plus passing yards. Just beautiful. Number eight, Jared Goff. If you know what's crazy, <laughs> how is Jared Goff listed as a top 10 quarterback? Because he deserves it. The guy who people thought was dumped off to Detroit was almost the reason, and I'm feeling like there's something here I want to show you. That is the reason Detroit almost ended up making the playoffs. I mean, he threw 29 touchdowns, only threw seven interceptions, over 4,000 passing yards. And he, but the way I see it, I mean, he went the last nine games of the year without a pick. Look, he's not going to be the guy that makes the flashy stats, but he's the guy that's going to give you the job done. And with the cast of receivers he has around him, even without TJ Hawkinson, I'm excited to see what Jared Goff can do. Number seven, though, I don't know about. Tua Togaviola. Tua, Tua, Tua. Talk about a guy who injuries really crippled him this year. And I, it's not even his fault. Of course, I mean, of course it's not. But it's completely the fault of the Dolphins' management. To send a guy who was clearly concussed back into a game on multiple occasions, he's. some people are saying he should retire. And he's only in his third year. Um, and we still don't know the official future for Tua in football right now. Um you know, but the thing of it is, his connection with Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill and Mike Gusecki is second to none. It's just unbelievable the repertoire he has and the rapport he has with these guys. Now, here's a quarterback I'll tell you that I feel I'm real. I'm really amazed at the jump he made, and and here's. Here's why, and I think a big reason of it is because of Doug Peterson, the head coach of the Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence led the Jaguars to the playoffs when it all looked like the Jaguars were done and out. Um, This year, 30 touchdowns, 13 picks. He even had 800 or 325 rushing yards and five touchdowns. Overall, solid year. Our top five, like I said earlier, Justin Herbert, not worth to me $295 million, but I'm going to tell you right now, he's a great quarterback with such a bright future ahead, but I do feel like uh, they need to see more. I think there is an air attack that's in, going to be in the Hall of Fame in the coming months, and that's the air Coriol attack from Don Coriel, the late great coach. And he instilled that in the Cardinals and in the Chargers and then the whole NFL. Justin Herbert needs to be able to have a healthy set of receivers that can work with him on that. And he'd be good to go. Number four, Josh Allen. Oof. I, you know, I don't know... This, Josh Allen somehow had a a regressed a regressed season, and yet it was still a great season. 
He had 38 passing touchdowns, almost 5,000 yards, almost 1,000 rush yards, eight touchdowns on the ground. But between snow blizzards that prevented home games, partially torn UCLs, and the, the DeMar Hamlin on-field collapse, I mean, it, Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills had a hell of a year. They went through a lot. So major props to them and Josh Allen for going through what they went through. Um, we've made it now to our top three. Number three is Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow last year was ranked number six. Now he's up to number three. Look, MVP candidate, just an overall star player. Needs to get a better offensive line. But I'm telling you right now, Joe Burrow has the makings to be a perennial Super Bowl contender. As does the number two guy and the guy that I still say you could make an argument for to win MVP despite losing, Jalen Hurts. 4,200-plus passing yards, 25 pass TDs, six interceptions, almost 1,000 rushing yards, and 18 rush touchdowns, and 11 fumbles. You know, the expectations weren't high for the Eagles, but man, did Jalen Hurts shine. But with that, we still get to the head honcho of the list, the number one man himself, the man who... Every year since 2018 has been on this list, and he's been in the top 10. In fact, he's been in the top five, Patrick Mahomes. Final stats for Mahomes. He was 47 yards shy of 6,000. He threw 48 passing touchdowns. Uh, this include. I mean, this does, of course include the playoffs um but 48 passing touchdowns 12 picks 418 rush yards four rushing touchdowns well you know set the bar set the table for the game winning kick in the ASC title game and in the super bowl look there's nobody that does it better than mahomes and there's nobody that surprised people as much as mahomes when it comes to this because when the chiefs drafted him nobody thought he was going to be this good in a draft that had um you know we take a look back before we wrap it up i want to take a look at the nfl draft of 2017 and i want to take a look at the top three quarterbacks that were drafted mitchell trubisky deshaun watson and patrick mahomes Everybody thought that, believe it or not, Mitchell Trubisky was going to be the best and and uh, Deshaun Watson. They thought Watson and Mitchell were going to be way better than Mahomes. Look how that's turned out. Trubisky's basically a bona fide backup. Watson's gone through a lot. So, yeah, that's where we're at. Mahomes, once again, tops Mark Sessler's list of the top NFL quarterbacks for 2022, and I love to see it, folks. And with that, we are going to wrap up this evening, folks, here on Roundabout Sports. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I know it wasn't the most pleasant show, but I do hope you enjoyed even just a moment of it. Um, as always, remember, though, to call, if need be, the NAMI hotline, the, the National Association of Mental Illness, um, at one 800 950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-NAMI. And then for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, 
988. Uh, it's available 24-7, 365, 366 on leap years. Understand that you're always loved and you're never alone in this world. Um, and that there's always somebody out there that cares about you and loves you. And for those that are in the opposite shoes, you could be that voice for somebody else, that person that somebody else can reach out to. So be sure to be there for somebody. And be sure to be there next week on the newest episode of Roundabout Sports, presented by Interstate 70 Sports Media. I'm your maestro, Jeremy Carp. Thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, life is a book full of empty pages just waiting to be written in. Make your lives worth reading.